Hi, this is Into the Greenwood. I'm Rosie. And I'm Kathy. And today we're looking at the Ballad of Tamlin. We use it specifically to talk about a Jungian analysis, which is quite interesting, and um, we don't over-explain it too much, but um, hopefully if you're not familiar, this will be a fine enough introduction. Yeah, to the basic principles of it. We do also discuss whether certain encounters can be viewed in the lens of sexual assault, so that might be a useful trigger warning. It does come up a few times throughout the story when we're analysing different ways people have interpreted this in the past. We hope you enjoy. Oh, I forbid you maidens all that wear goud on your hair, to come or gay by Carter Hall, for young Tamlin is there. There's nane that gaze by Carter Hall, but they live him a wad, either their rings or their green mantles, or else their maidenhead. Janet has kilted her green kirtle a little abune her knee, and she has broided her yellow hair a little abune her brie, and she's awa to Carter Hall as fast as she can he. When she came to Carter Hall, Tamlin was at the well, and there she found his steed standing, but away was himself. She hadn't appeared a double rose, a rose but only twa, till upon then started young Tamlin, says Lady, thou's poo nae may. Why poos thou the rose, Janet, and why breaks thou the wand, or why comes thou to Carter Hall without in my command? Carter Hall, it is my ain, my daddy gave it to me. I'll come and gang by Carter Hall, and ask nae leave at thee. Janet has kilted her green kirtle a little abune her knee, and she has broided her yellow hair a little abune her brie, and she is to her father's ha as fast as she can he. Four and twenty ladies fair were playing at the ba, and out then came fair Janet, the fleur among them a. Four and twenty ladies fair were playing at the chess, and out then came fair Janet, as green as only glass. Out then spake an old grey knight, lay o'er the castle wa, and says, alas, fair Janet, for thee, but we'll be blamed a. Had your tongue, ye old face knight, some ill death may you die. Father my bairn on whom I will, I'll father none on thee. Out then spak her father dear, and he spak meek and mild. And ever alas, sweet Janet, he says, I think thou gayst wi' child. If that I gay wi' child, father, my Selmon bear the blame. There's near a laird about your ha, she'll get the bairn's name. If my love were an earthly knight, as he's an elfin grey, I would gi my ain true love, for nay lord that ye hay. The steed that my true love rides on is lighter than the wind. We siller he is shot before, we burning gowd behind. Janet has kilted her green kirtle a little abun her knee, and she has broided her yellow hair a little abun her brie, and she's awa to Carter Hall as fast as she can he. When she came to Carter Hall, Tamlin was at the well, and there she found his steed standing, but away was himself. She had napoed a double rose, a rose but only twa, till up then started young Tamlin, says, Lady, thou's poo nae may. Why poos thou the rose, Janet, among the groves say green, and a to kill the bonny babe that we gat us between? Oh, tell me, tell me, Tamlin, she says, for sakes that died on tree, if ere you was in holy chapel or Christendom did see. Roxburgh, he was my grandfather, took me with him to bide, and ain't it fell upon a day that waded me betide, and ain't it fell upon a day, a cold day and a snell, when we were fray the hunting come, and fray my horse I fell. 
Queen of fairies, she caught me, in yon green hill do dwell. And pleasant is the fairy land, but an eerie tale to tell. At the end of seven years we pay a team to hell. I am so fair and full of flesh, I'm feared it be my cell. But the night is Halloween, lady, the morn is hallow day. Then win me, win me, and ye will, for weel I wot ye may. Just at the mark in midnight hour the fairy folk will ride, and they that wad their true love win, at miles cross they men bide. But how shall I thee ken, Tamlin, or how my true love know, among Saimoni, unco knights, the like I never saw? Oh, first let pass the black lady, and sign let pass the brown, but quickly run to the milk-white steed, put ye his rider down. For I'll ride on the milk-white steed, and I nearest the town, because I was an earthly knight, they gave me that renown. My right hand will be gloved, lady, my left hand will be bare, cocked up shall my bonnet be, and came doon shall my hair. And these the tackens I gie thee, and nae doubt I will be there. They'll turn me in your arms, lady, into an esk and an adder, but hold me fast and fear me not, I am your bairn's father. They'll turn me to a bear say grim, and then a lion bold, but hold me fast and fear me not, and ye shall love your child. Again they'll turn me in your arms to a red het gand of airn, but hold me fast and fear me not, I'll do ye nae harm. And last they'll turn me in your arms into the burning gleed, then throw me into the well water, oh throw me in with speed. And then I'll be your ain true love, I'll turn a naked knight, then cover me with your green mantle, and hide me out of sight. Gloomy, gloomy was the night, and eerie was the way, as fair Jenny in her green mantle to Miles Cross she did gay. At the mark in midnight hour she heard the bridles sing, she was as glad at that as any earthly thing. First she let the black pass by, and signed she let the brown, but quickly she ran to the milk-white steed and pulled the rider down. Say wheel she minded what he did say, and young Tamlin did win. Sign covered him with her green mantle as blithe a bird in spring. Out then spake the Queen of Fairies, out o' a brush of broom. Them that has gotten young Tamlin has gotten a stately groom. Out then spake the Queen of Fairies, and an angry woman was she. Shame betide her ill-farred face, and an ill death may she dee, for she's teen away the bonniest knight in a my company. But had I ken Tamlin, said she, what now this night I see, I would have teen out thy twa grain, and put in twa in a tree. From bread made with magical healing water <laughs> to Odin's sword, sicker snapper. Wow. How do you feel about the Ballad of Tamlin? <laughs> I'm going to go really off brand and say okay. like heart eyes emoji. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's not allowed. <laughs> but fine, continue. <laughs> because there's just so much like... <laughs> To unpack, there's so much symbolism, there's so much reflections and parallels. Mm. I just, it's rich. It's very rich, and I think for the benefit of the listeners, you did a whole project on this I did. in your art degree. So I did. <laughs> very familiar and very in love with it. Yeah. Um, but that's good, it means that we're in very safe hands, and I'm including myself in that collective pronoun. <laughs> Yeah, so we were thinking maybe we would look at this through a more kind of Jungian lens and then we could um, 
then talk about the problems that we have with that, the things we like about it, and just kind of talk about that whole realm of analysis in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to start off, <laughs> in my notes, what I have about um, the kind of setting of this story. So we have the the Pinewood, and we have Janet's father's hall. Mm-hmm. And for the purpose of this analysis, the wood represents the unconscious world and Janet's father's hall represents the conscious and the awake, the waking world. And then kind of by extension, Janet's father is the kind of ruler of this realm and the queen of the fairies is his reflection and the ruler of the unconscious world. And kind of its personification. And then and then we have Janet and Tamlin as kind of reflections of each other within these worlds because because we have a kind of with the conscious world as we're calling it, we have a male authority figure and generally in this line of analysis, the world of like the um sort of civilization and the open sky and stuff is considered to be more male um so we have her father and then we have janet in this realm and she rebels against it and against its rules and kind of breaks three breaks free of it and then we have her reflection tamlin in the unconscious land um again he's like a male character in the very scare quotes feminine land <laughs> I, I don't particularly enjoy gendering it so much but this is the language of the analysis and we can we can get to that later we certainly will <laughs> so in those ways they're they're reflections of each other as well and then in venturing into the sort of unconscious forest Janet is able to kind of assert her authority over Tamlin by saying oh I'm gonna do what I want this is my dad's land because she's kind of bringing that power from the conscious world into the depths of the unconscious so then so the woods are like they're wild and forbidden and primal and exist outside the social order and outside the sort of collective um rational kind of principled world that we're seeing kind of the castle as and they don't, they're not governed by the rules of public life that we find impacting Janet in her father's hall. And they're this kind of portal to like a deeper, darker space of the unconscious. And when she kind of, when she like plucks the rose that bloomed there, she summons Tamlin. I was thinking that especially in this ballad, she has a few back and forths between mm. and the tale only ends when we integrate both of these people at the crossroads, which is very, very obvious symbolism yeah. and very common. And, mm-hmm. you know, the whole purpose of, of Jungian psychology and analysis is that you have your masculine and your feminine and that you need to integrate them in a healthy way and that's why yeah. all of these tales are 
archetypes and the characters aren't particularly well-rounded and they have really one role it's because it's supposed to be we, we should all have our own private Tamlin if you will it should be an internal journey that we all undertake to the depths of our subconscious yeah um, so the language is clumsy for sure I don't love the whole the feminine subconscious is mm-hmm. where you can do transgressive things and the male conscious is active and where power and morality exist yeah. but at least we're also all supposed to have these qualities internally and balance them correctly so yeah you know yeah and it's kind of it's very much a story that is it's about these two opposites and it's about integrating them and the reflections of them and coming mm. together in the between spaces and liminality and it's got a lot going on and for the moment it's um it's easier to use this kind of language to talk about it when we're initially explaining it yeah even if it makes me cringe sometimes <laughs> yeah and i think as a general caveat i suppose before we go into the language too much you very commonly read Jungian analysis of folk tales where it seems like the person forgets that this is supposed to be about integration of the self mm-hmm. as symbolized by a marriage between two characters instead of these two characters being stand-ins for two different people. Yeah. Um, that is something that I think is worth emphasizing. Yeah. Be your own Janet and Tamlin at the same time. That's what Jung wants from you. Yeah. He wants you to mature emotionally and integrate yourself and your shadows and everything. Which is good advice, actually. Yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah, it's it sounds like I, I find the whole sort of concept of it very sound. Mm. It's just um the language can feel a bit backwards and some people take it a bit too literally. <laughs> yes. Um, but with those useful caveats in mind, yeah. let's get back to the <laughs> tale because it's a very, very good snapshot for Jungian analysis. So Janet plucks um, a rose from the forest and Jung saw the rose as representing the integrated self because... Um, he thought that it with the kind of the thorns that was a male part because it's aggressive, protective, dangerous, spiky, and the soft petals are a female aspect, and of course, I guess just flowers in general are quite ionic, so um I get like it's it's that kind of idea mm-hmm. and in in like the Jungian line of thinking every woman has an animus which is a kind of male part of herself that's like like a soul deep inside and men have a female anima um so this kind of plucking of the rose is kind of representing that she's ready to unite with that part of herself and she's instigating the kind of journey of self-actualization mm-hmm. And then 
You also have the kind of very natural. They symbolize romance and love and lust. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but I like versions where they emphasize that it's a white rose. I yeah. think that that's a fun uh, sprinkling of detail that not everyone bothers with. But you then yeah. have the white symbolizing purity and innocence, dovetailing very nicely with the loss then of innocence if you will in quotation marks that she's about to undergo yeah and this is where um there there are two lines of thinking with this story in regards to consent it's like it's very easy to read this as a story about sexual assault there's also clues that suggest it isn't you can read it both ways, and so we're just we're just going to look at the different arguments for both, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And if we're talking symbolically, you can say that the plucking of this flower is her choosing the encounter, initiating it, making the step herself. Yeah, and corroborating that, the very first verse gives a list of the things that tend to be taken as a toll by Tam Lin. And we know that she has a green kirtle. Yes. We know that she could give him that. Mm-hmm. And that that would fulfil the fairy law. Yeah. And she doesn't. And she has gone out to Carterhall for no reason that we're given. Yeah. Some stories say she goes to get flowers. In this version, I think that there's enough subtext that you can say that she's gone there specifically to find him yeah and has the backup plan of the green kirtle if she changes her mind yeah which would mean that she's choosing to have this tryst with him yeah it's and there's also the detail that she like kilts her kirtle above the knee which is not the usual way of wearing it. She's basically wearing a mini skirt. And, um, <laughs> she's braided her hair nicely. Braided her hair, which obviously, the way you're dressed doesn't mean you're consenting. But she's making an effort. She wants to be attractive. Yeah, we also she... use clothes to communicate with other people. <laughs> yeah, and the implication is definitely that she's trying to communicate desire and availability. Yeah. And I feel like this is skipping ahead a little bit in terms of analysis, but the fact that she defends him to the court and is prepared to save mm-hmm. his life at great personal risk. Yeah. That could be um in the aftermath of trauma and a lack of other options for Mm. having a child out of wedlock, which is the other interpretation. But I think it feels like it rings truer for her character and is just a much more pleasant story to imagine if it was consensual and she's prepared to do these things because she actually cares for him and would like him around. Yeah. And is happy to see what it would be like to actually have a full family union. Yeah. Um, she's, she's given 
she's given the chance to marry her father's knights and she's like no you simply can't compare to a fairy man so <laughs> no which i'm sure is true he's a fairy man he's got lovely green eyes green eyes gray eyes he's got lovely gray eyes <laughs> yeah but i just think i mean it it I'm sure that the aftermath of trauma is very complicated. I know it is. I study that. But I just think old ballads aren't trying to get into that. Talking about her thinking that he's attractive and a lot better than the other night, I don't think is supposed to be interpreted as a very layered, defensive, traumatic response. I think it's another sign that it's consensual. Yeah. Like, you could definitely read it both ways. Um, But I would choose to believe we're supposed to think that this is consensual. So, and more on the green kirtle, it's also a choice. (laughs) Because (laughs) green is the colour of the fairies. So it's it's something like it's like she's gone to his house wearing his clan tartan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and green is often associated with fertility as well. Yeah. So she's gone wearing his tartan, all prettied up. <laughs> there are enough signs here, I think. Yeah, and there is. There's also. Um, in some folklore, there's basically if you don't want to get stolen away by the fairies, you avoid wearing green. Mm. And people who wear green will get kidnapped. So again, it's like she's like, "Hey, Tamlin, I'm here." <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's also apparently other folk tales in which the forest of Kataho is associated very frequently with there being fairies. Mm-hmm. Now, you know. Janet probably wasn't real. So maybe (laughs) she hadn't heard about these other stories. (laughs) But if you go a step beyond that and you think about what it's communicating to the audience, what you've told them is she goes to a place notorious for fairies wearing their colours with the ability to pay a physical toll and seems to be specifically looking for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just feels very conclusive. We were just yeah. making a lot of hand signs, but that doesn't translate <laughs> to a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, I have a little more on, on the forest. Mm-hmm. Just a more general... Like, forests are basically, they're always seen as the feminine principle or the unconscious, like, representing the unconscious mind. Because the light, which is considered the male principle, can't shine through to the depths. And in order to heal, we need to deal with the unconscious shadow sides of ourselves. um, The aspects that are hidden away for fear that they're not acceptable. If we don't engage with them, 
we can't become whole no matter how many good deeds we might do in the conscious world. So there's that, there's Tamlin representing that. And then we also have just in the colors of their hair, like the colors of their hair, Janet's from the conscious world. She has blonde hair. Tam mm-hmm. is from the unconscious woods and he has black hair. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just, again, another thing. And I think in this story as well, it does it does mix the whole like feminine masculine thing a bit as well because Janet's the kind of ambassador for the conscious world mm-hmm. and she's a woman and Tamlin is for the unconscious and he's a man. Yes, you have some very nice parallels going on with the traditional authority figures like you've already said of the well, we'll call Janet's father a king for now because we all know what we mean by that. So he's the king of the light world and you have the fairy queen of the shadow world and then you invert that for our active personages that are the ones that are crossing the streams. Um, yeah. It feels very neat. Um, yeah. Very well-rounded. It's very complete. Yeah. And there's, there's also this kind of feeling of the new generation and the old generation where the old generation are kind of in line and matching and the world that they inhabit and staying there and obeying their rules. Mm. Whereas the younger generation are breaking them and they're crossing borders and they're... Yeah, they're the forces of creation and rebellion and societal change. Um, yeah which will presumably be brought to a lovely integrated completeness with the baby that is mm-hmm. part fairy, part human, depending on where Tamlin comes from, which depends on the tale. But mm-hmm. even if he's just human that's been in the fairy world for a long time, it counts enough. Yeah. So we also have Tamlin and Janet meeting at a well um, quite a few times and again it's just a continuation of this kind of symbolism with the well reaching from the upper world to the lower world and the dark and the light and a kind of coming together and there's some folklore that says that in wells is that's where the moon is during the day and it's where the sun is during the night so again it's this mirroring and this mixing and this kind of in-between feeling and that's where the two of them meet yeah and it is then brought full circle by the fact that she has to throw him into water at the very end of all of his Mm -hmm. transformations he has to come out it's very much renewal cleansing baptismal type Mm -hmm. imagery it's again that coming out of the unconsciousness of water and being free yeah yeah and it's that pathway of communication between Mm. the surface and the depth which is exactly what janet is doing in the story it's about like venturing into the depths of yourself and And coming out more fully formed and whole so if we look at tam as like a full person and not just janet's animus Mm him falling from his horse 
it represents kind of something that has happened to him that has driven him beyond the point of sanity to a point where um, his mind has been broken and he's retreating into his unconscious and into madness and falling into it as and sure. being caught by the Queen of the Fairies. Sure, it's overpowered him to the extent that he's fallen off the horse. Yeah. And he's dragged into the unconscious, and mm-hmm. um, now he needs to be saved. Because <laughs> he's a damsel. He's a damsel, and he's in distress. He's fallen out of awareness. He's no longer aware of the world around him. He's just lost in the kind of unconscious madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand why we want to give him a proper lineage and affirm that he is a man and a good match for (laughs) Janet. But can you imagine how much richer it would feel if he didn't know his family, he couldn't Mm. remember anymore? Mm. That sense of loss would be a lot more complete and have a lot more textual evidence. Yeah. That loss of self that he's supposed to be representing. So then... Um, we can look at hell, which represents here a much more deeper level of like unconsciousness and madness, and it's that if he if he falls that far, he can no longer be saved. He can no longer heal from this. It's mm-hmm. it's done, and he's gone. So he needs to be saved now. So the kind of regression that's happened becomes irreversible at that point. Again, a very traditional way of injecting urgency into your story. It's the do or die (laughs) moment. We like the drama as a species. (laughs) Stories reliably know how to hit the button. Mm -hmm. It's every seven seven years they pay a tithe to hell, which is just classic the number seven. (laughs) (laughs) The number seven um, apparently, and I don't know if this is true, I thought tithes were a yearly thing. But apparently you would pay your tithes every seven years. Like, that's mm. the traditional setup that it was in mm. uh, medieval cultures. So, again, that's just something that they're very familiar with. Yeah. Setting aside how often the number seven <laughs> crops up. One thing yeah. I find interesting about that, though, is that there's some variation across the ballads in terms of... Um, the the queen's words at the end, the fairy queen, there's an implication that by not having Tamlin to sacrifice to hell anymore, she's now going to be the one sacrificed to hell mm. because she's lost him. Mm. Which feels like it's too destabilizing to the Jungian setup if you lose the queen of the unconsciousness. Which I imagine is why it doesn't crop up in a lot of places. But I thought that that was an interesting variant (laughs) worth noting. Yeah, that that is interesting. Especially because there's quite... um, Like with these kind of narratives with fairies kidnapping humans, there's quite a sort of weight on the value of a human soul. Mm. And the fairies do not have souls so there's this kind of it has to be a human it's not often that they would sacrifice a fairy because they don't see it as having that value yeah it's not really worth it um maybe that's balanced out by it being their monarch Mm -hmm. 
Sounds reasonable. Yeah. Sounds fair. <laughs> it's a lot to lose. <laughs> it's it's a lot to lose. It's a big sacrifice. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose vaguely circling back to the number seven. It's also the case that in common law, in I'm going to say the olden days because I don't know how to phrase it better, but that's a clunky phrase and it's very inaccurate, so I do apologise. But um, if your spouse was missing, seven years was the length of time you had to wait before before they were legally declared dead and you could marry Mm. again. Um, And I wonder if that's feeding into him not being the companion of the fairy queen any longer but being janet's like he's been the queen's for seven years that servitude that bond is severed it has Mm. to be now before he's thought of as lost to the human world to his true human spouse that he ought to have Mm. um yeah and you kind of you see it a few times with seven being considered a kind of natural cycle mm. like um one example was it was considered that you had to be apprenticed to a craftsman for seven years before you could learn the trade so it's kind of seen as a kind of natural cycle of life stages i suppose yeah i mean seven days in the week even yeah. it's i would love to read more about why that is but you if you look into it all it does is tell you that it's a common number in the bible that seems to be as far back as anyone goes but Mm -hmm. that just still leaves you with the question of how does it end up there though yeah yeah i guess we just like it (laughs) i guess it's just a cool number (laughs) so we also have the kind of climax of the tale happening on Halloween, mm-hmm. which again feels like another very um, natural thing for this story. It's the Celtic New Year. It's the day that the worlds of supernatural and um, mundane are closest together. It's when like ghosts are most likely to be, to cross over. It's believed, and then again. It's when the conscious and the unconscious are closest together. It's really the ideal chance for her mm-hmm. to pull him across to the other side. Very much so. Um, and then again, I suppose, setting Jungian things aside a tiny bit, there's also that traditional overlap between the land of the fairies and the land of the dead. Mm-hmm it adds to this symbolism of how distant Tamlin is um, how unconscious he is if he might also be dead (laughs) and having to come back to life to be with Janet which obviously could only be achieved on Halloween So I have something on the fairy horses um, and like the colours of them and that sort of thing, Mm. which is like, partly it can be signifying status. Um, We also have, and we're marking the humans out as separate. Mm -hmm. 
and we can p easily put it as like black is the color of the unconscious that's the horse that the fairy queen rides mm. white is conscious and tam as a human rides that horse there's also the white could symbolize human purity like he's the only one in this troop that has a soul mm -hmm. <laughs> and in comparison to the demonic fairies and he's also been chosen for sacrifice so he's riding a white animal just as all across the world animals that are sacrificed tend to be white mm -hmm. um, there's also in Celtic mythology the goddess Epona um, is kind of goddess of horses like think is supposed to take the form of a white horse and it's a symbol of fertility Mm -hmm. So again, that kind of ties into Janet's relationship with Tam. Yes, and that he is found in the subconscious, that he's a representative of a nature fertility god, that he's associated with those symbols, mm -hmm. that he makes her pregnant. Yeah. It all ties together very well. Yeah. There's also... So I read some some thoughts that were about this story maybe relating to kind of older harvest stories about kind of the deity of the harvest and of spring and stuff um, taking a husband who is then sacrificed to bring on the harvest mm. and again like I can, I can see that kind of theme carrying through here of a kind of older belief that is showing up here. Yeah, it could be. I mean, what Halloween? I suppose that would be. Well, beginning of winter would be a strange time to have yeah. a harvest festival, but it could have been shunted back a bit. It could be yeah. more in gratitude to the good harvest that's just been. Yeah, um, I don't think. I don't think that interpretation is exactly helpful in a reading of this story, but mm. it could be kind of something that was more just a very old trope that people are familiar with that is now warped out of recognition. Yes, um, I mean our lives are. It, they're massively different even just to our parents' lives, so thinking about how different they are to the lives of people from a few hundred years ago is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, there's definitely a lot of cultural and historical knowledge and beliefs that we have lost mm. with the rise of the internet, which we're all using <laughs> to distribute this podcast so moving on <laughs> so Tamlin's transformations I find quite fun because Janet it's like a test of Janet's bravery and her strength mm -hmm. which is nice I guess it's also a test of her love and devotion um but yeah, she has to she has to hold on through all of that and it's kind of 
it's more of a battle between Janet and the Queen of the Fairies. It's whose claim over him is greater, who's going to win, like, madness or sanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to look at the animals that he's turned into, and it does have some variants, but you have the snake, which I imagine most people are aware is, symbolises... Uh, Male sexual organs, sometimes. Um, so, but you have the snake, you have a bear, which is a, you know, forest creature, but is more threatening. You have the lion for nobility. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of good and bad masculine symbols that he gets turned into that Janet has to be able to tame, I suppose, and reconcile mm-hmm. with herself. Which is just, again, a very Jungian thing. Yeah, and it's kind of... She, She's journeyed into this world of the unconscious. She wants to reunite with this part of herself that is represented by Tam, and to do so she has to battle her inner demons. She has to conquer all the monsters within. She has to conquer the Queen of the Fairies. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that is one thing... I tend to enjoy about Jungian setups. You have, like, good woman needs to fight bad woman, good man needs to fight bad man. Sometimes we have some overlap too, but I think it it helps feel like you've completed the circle. Yeah. The inverted forms have met and the appropriate one has won if you're reading a happy story. If it's a tragedy, then no. But Tamlin isn't a tragedy, so it's fine. Yeah. So then she throws him into the well, and this is super easy to read as a rebirth Mm. scene. Um, Like, Janet's pregnant at the time. He's thrown into the water, which is, like, often kind of, like, representative of like the womb and birth and it's kind of like connected to the whole like amniotic fluid your water's breaking mm-hmm. um and then so he comes out naked like a baby and she wraps him in her mantle which means it does mean she's claimed him he's hers now he's under her protection the queen can't get him anymore but it's also like she's swaddling him like a baby mm-hmm Yes, I saw that some people had suggested that... I mean, there's no real way of saying this. It's very, very Oedipal. But um, that essentially Janet gives birth to him. Oh. But yeah, I, she gives birth to him. Which... I don't know. I mean, she is pregnant. <laughs> but I would like to think that she's pregnant with... An actual baby and not yeah. her romantic partner that's also the father <laughs> of the baby. I don't know. It just feels very regressive and yeah. like the story's looping back on itself in a, a much more uncomfortable way than you yes. really want for a happy ending of the story. Yeah, I... 
I would rather just read it as she's facilitating his rebirth. <laughs> yeah, I would prefer the symbolism of cleanliness and washing things away. Yeah. Um, but I suppose to um, look at this in another angle, we have mentioned about whether the encounter between Tam Lin and Janet is a consensual sexual encounter or whether it isn't but one thing that is bubbling away all of the time in the background is that Tam Lin is absolutely a sexual slave to the fairy queen yes and I saw someone point out that actually this bit where the fairy queen has total control over his body and what it looks like it's very Mm. insidious it's very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and it also then makes Janet claiming him in such a way he has asked her to, he does need her to to save him Mm -hmm. but I think if you swapped the genders Mm -hmm. and you ignored the Jungian aspect it would feel very uncomfortable that Tamlin never got agency over their own body in yeah. the tale. Yeah. You can argue that the rebirth afterwards is. But we don't see that. But we don't see that. And the last thing we see is being swaddled. Yeah. By the Janet figure. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to note that because we know that there's a big double standard of how the media interacts with uh, men being sexually assaulted by women and that bleeds through into stories it bleeds through into day-to-day culture it bleeds through into even the amount of political support there is for help for victims these things all matter in ways that are larger than we think that they do Mm. and you don't tend to see it the main discussion that people have for Tamlin and Janet that I've seen in terms of sexual power dynamics is only about the two of them but the queen says that he's the most beautiful Yeah, clearly says that he's keeping her company there are some versions where she explicitly is like "Um, Janet you whore he was my only one you had many other men Uh which is a bit much we have no Mm. proof of that but um and then she threatens to replace his eyes with wooden eyes Mm -hmm. if she if she'd known that he was going to betray her she was going to blind him i guess so that he could never look at another and that's that's just horrible and i don't like it queenie (laughs) it's not a good vibe (laughs) it's not a good look babes um (laughs) Yeah, it's because we were talking about this bit when we were working out how to try and frame the episode. If you swapped the genders of all of the parties involved, I think the story would be immediately a lot more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's quite a problem because you're not changing anything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, like... I would argue that there's this debate over over whether Janet consented that I don't know if we'd be having if Janet 
was a man because people tend to assume that men always want sex and it would be assumed that sleeping with a fairy woman is some kind of fantasy mm-hmm. which I'm not saying is a good assumption to make just that it's one that commonly would be made yeah um, that shouldn't really have um, like just be, like that shouldn't really have a huge amount of bearing on whether we consider it consensual or not but it is worth noting that maybe we wouldn't have so many readings of this story that read it as sexual assault um, with Tamlin and Janin, Janin? Tamlin and Janet um, if the genders were flipped which is again a problem <laughs> it's interesting the things that you can just be blind to generally and how once you start seeing them and you start asking yourself how would I feel if the genders here were flipped? What would the power dynamics seem to me then? Yeah. It can often be a very revealing question just to ask yourself and the types of things that you're familiar with and you expect from a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is just another reason why I really love this story in the way that it seems to flip the roles. Because um, mm. if you do in your mind flip the genders it feels like a story that we've heard a thousand times before absolutely there's poor damsel who's being held hostage by a monster by a monster in a forest and our brave knight has to go and rescue her and then they get married yeah well okay i have no way of narrowing this down from the thousands of (laughs) stories that that actually is when you reduce them down i do just really adore janet as a heroine she's Mm. uh she's filled with such self-possession like she's given she's given like quite a few roots out of having Tamlin's baby she doesn't have to do this but um she's like nope I know what I want and I'm having it (laughs) I'm having the hot fairy's baby (laughs) you literally can't stop me (laughs) well wow okay Janet uh Congratulations, I suppose, because it did all work out for you, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted just to quickly note that it says that um, after Janet has defeated her, the Queen of Fairies is um, speaking out of of like a bush of brim. So she's... It doesn't mention anything happen happening to the fairies it just then says the, fa- the queen of the fairies is speaking from the bushes and it's just this whole they were um powerful they were grand they were on high horses and this defeat has diminished her she's now just a little creature mm. she's in the undergrowth like it's collapsed she's very much banished from the crossroads and that liminal space Mm -hmm. in which she could have crossed over before she could have used her power to invade the conscious world Mm -hmm. but she didn't she lost and she's now hugely reduced yeah she's she's now not allowed to be in that space at all she's back in in the undergrowth in the forest Mm -hmm. and she has to be there yeah i mean 
again the whole point of a lot of Jungian stuff is about chaos and order and properly structuring things and how you can do that if you integrate your masculine and your feminine correctly uh, and become a whole person mm. and this tale ends on a very clear note that that's succeeded and I think that that does work best if you make all of the assumptions that make that make sense you know that it's a happy relationship between the two of them that he's welcomed then back into the world of the light that they get married and raise their son and inherit the kingdom and Mm -hmm. you then get the traditional fairy tale archetype Mm -hmm. but it's because that is supposed to represent stability and the handing on of power from the old to the new yeah that is used well for the community yeah and i think on the note of just whether this is consensual or not i think you can read it either way and it's not wrong to read it as a non-consensual relationship Mm. but i do think reading it as non-consensual between janet and tamlin is a bit too modern because mm. I want to question I mean there's two arguments I want to question whether um, women maybe telling this story were allowed to say I want to go and sleep with that hot fairy man <laughs> <laughs> and were really allowed to say yes I have desire and like I can go after it myself I have agency mm. in this I don't know. Um, and I feel like the story gives us enough clues to interpret that this is what Janet wants. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could also say uh, how much were women allowed to talk about sexual assault? I think the interpretation of this story very much depends on what it does for the individual listener. Mm. and what they need it to do for them yeah as with any story that you read you bring your own history your own interpretations your own connotations to things that's a good thing that's why it's so fascinating to talk about stories with people to experience them with people and then share in the aftermath it's why Mm -hmm. we have such a space for art and creativity in society and then we hinted at before that we have we have some issues with the kind of gender essentialism of some of the language surrounding um Jungian analysis it does feel very backwards to be talking about nurturing feminine spaces and assertive powerful male spaces but that aside it's a really fascinating way to look at especially this story Mm. yeah and it's hard exactly to know how you would replace the terminology yeah it says everything we need it to especially with the background culturally that we have 
Yeah. It's not really terminology we can change. Yeah. But sometimes I hate talking about how passive and feminine the good mm-hmm. feminine is in a Jungian story. Uh, yeah. Horrible. Um, yeah. But it is just a way of interpreting the tale. It doesn't mean this is the universal truth of humanity. It just means these are the issues that we deal with and this is how they're coming out in stories. Yeah. And especially, again, we mentioned this before, but your passive feminine internally should also have your assertive masculine and vice versa. You should have both to be a fully formed human. At the end of the day, that is the point of the analysis. Mm -hmm. And I think that that helps mitigate the more uncomfortable language when it's done in the right way. Yeah. Like, a lot of this... It's not supposed to be talking about um, who men are and who women are Mm. and who these different archetypes are it's just supposed to be using a very quick easy language to represent the things that we all grapple with internally Mm -hmm. thank you for listening to the folklore scotland podcast we'll be back every single week with new folklore content from stories to analysis so stay tuned Folklore Scotland is a charity founded to protect and preserve Scottish folklore through taking a multimedia approach to compiling and sharing folktales, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you would like to find out more about our charity, visit folklorescotland.com and if you're keen to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info at folklorescotland.com. You can also find all of our social media links and a link to a written version of this week's story in the show notes. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.